Time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good to talk to Uh, you. Thank you, Tom and all. And uh, last but not least, joining us for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Hi, Bobby. Hi. Good morning, guys. Hi, Bobby. Good morning. Well, you know, I always kick it off with uh, a, a couple of couple of quotes, including our uh, finish the quote. How would you finish this quote? I have encountered riotous mobs and have been hung in effigy, but my motto is men's rights are nothing more Women, women's rights are. How would you finish Every, this quote? Everything. Are emerging. Are uh, are equal. I don't know. Equally. That's an interesting one. Uh, this is this is a great quote. Um, I have encountered riotous mobs and have been hung in effigy. But my motto is, men men's rights are nothing more. Women's rights are nothing less. Oh, oh, great, great. Oh, I couldn't come up with anything. Elizabeth Cady Stanton? No. Nope. Oh. Uh, the president. You're going to guffaw when I tell you who it is. 
Susan B. Anthony. Oh, oh okay. What a great quote. And that, of she course... She was energy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that, of course... Uh, um, as as kind of a nod to yesterday's 100th anniversary of uh, passing the women's right to vote, and that's right, that's right. And and we'll get we'll get to President Trump's uh, pardon a little bit later in the uh, <laughs> in, yeah. in the show. <laughs> yeah, but uh, here here is one of the quotes that. Uh, that I picked up on, and of course, there's there's lots of, to talk about today because, uh, of course, we're right in the middle of the Democratic National Convention, two nights down, two nights to go, and um, last night, of course, they they officially nominated uh, former Vice President uh, Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee to run for president. Um, but here's, here's the quote. They're going to engage in an attempt to distract from the real issues that are impacting the American people. And I expect that they will engage in dirty tactics. And this is going to be a knockdown, drag out, and we're ready. Um, Biden himself? No, it was actually a uh, presumptive Democratic <clears throat> vice presidential nominee, Kamala Harris. She uh, said that President Donald Trump and his campaign will engage in lies and deception after he floated a new conspiracy last week about her eligibility to serve as yeah. vice president and president. On Saturday, Trump, who was pushed similar, who has pushed similar conspiracies about former President Barack Obama, said that he would not be pursuing questions about Harris's eligibility, but did not dismiss the conspiracy theories as false. Is the birther attack effective anymore? No. I certainly don't think so. At this no, point. the American people have moved past that. Yeah. No, it gives some people an excuse to, um, to challenge the legitimacy of the Democrats, but that's people that don't like us anyway. Yeah, well, well people that are that's looking true. for uh, legitimate things to, to hang uh, their opposition right. on. Right. And it, br it brings back all the conspiracy stuff with the birther movement that Trump was behind, you know, years ago. So it's, it really, really says an awful lot about the nature of our politics now that those things are kicking around at all. Well, it's petty, and I just listened to your interview of uh, Christina Rodriguez about her book, on uh, immigration and her answers regarding 14th Amendment and uh, born in the United States. I mean, she's very clear, being a constitutional scholar, that this yeah. is a specious argument. Yeah, that yeah. was a, that was an interesting interview, and if anybody's just tuning in now and missed that, um, it will replay all day, but, uh, but also it'll be up in the archive later today, and you can uh, go listen to that. Um, and, and I was fascinated. I wanted to talk to her about her time clerking for Sandra Day O'Connor, but I, we didn't get a chance to do that. That was a good, a good interview, and there's some, some really good facts there. Um, yeah. Let's go on. This this has got to be my favorite quote in uh, in quite a while, and it's very simple. It says, "We made a mistake here, one that I regret." Any ideas who said that? 
could be anybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll <laughs> save you the suspense. That was Robert Gordon, director of the Department of Health and Human Services. He told lawmakers Thursday morning dur- during a nearly two-hour hearing, the head of Michigan's health department acknowledged it was a mistake to award a no-bid contract to a Democratic-connected firm to perform contact tracing in an effort to combat the spread of the coronavirus. Gordon noted the contract with a political consulting company was canceled at the direction of Governor Gretchen Whitmer before the vendor was paid any money. He said there is zero evidence that state employees who negotiated the contract had political motivations in choosing this vendor. And, and really, according to his explanation, um, it, it, it sounds like this was a no-big contract. Somebody just said, go out and find somebody that does this kind of work. And they went to people they knew. <laughs> you know, it, well, it, it, there wasn't any real intention there. But the question is, is this a good explanation and apology? No, it's well, very better clear. than anything. No, it's very clear. I worked on no-bid contracts when I was an employee of a legislative office. There's a procedure even for no-bid contracts. You don't just go out and pluck somebody out of the air. Yeah, but what I recall about this, and this is one of the things I have against the governor, but I don't hold it um, as vengeance. I think uh, when it was first introduced, it was considered mining data, wasn't it? For the government, I don't know. Y- yes, yeah, and uh, yeah. so so I. Well, contact tracing, governor. Contact uh, tracing, in a way, is mining data. Yeah, yeah, and that's why, and and I criticized the governor after all of these years of being kind of neutral on her. I criticized her for that, but. Uh, but I'm for glad that the data? apology is forthcoming. I'm glad that this apology is better than nothing, and we need to move I need on. Clar- I need clarification, Henry. Are you saying that doing contact tracing was wrong or that doing the kind of contact tracing that you call mining data or data mining is wrong or the procedure for choosing somebody to do it is wrong? Uh, no, I, I don't have the details on how all of this occurred, but it certainly um, was um, decided by others who are familiar with the situation that it was con- it was mining of data, and I don't think that th- that was. Um, I also a character was there, for the governor. Was there a sense of emergency with this? Did somebody say we got to have this stuff done tomorrow, and they just grabbed the first company they saw? Is that a possibility? I mean, again, I don't really know the answer. Well, there. I don't think that we well, need to go on this. That's kind uh, of the, what the, the apology is there now, and we need to yeah. move on. Yeah, uh, but Paul, I, well, in answer to you, want to find out why it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in an answer, if, if a Republican mind data, I would say it was wrong. <laughs> in, in an <laughs> In an answer to Paul's question, yeah. the explanation seems to indicate that. That's that's what they're trying yeah. to pass off as the explanation yeah. is, we just went to somebody we knew. Um, and and that the, the intention of selecting a Democratic-connected firm or to do a favor for a friendly firm was not really present. But, again, I, I, I'm swayed by 
by Bobby's expertise in saying that right. it really can't happen that way or, or shouldn't have happened that way. No, it shouldn't. I've, I've worked no bid contracts. You get two or three or four people who give you an offer and you choose the best one. Well, yeah. we're going we're to be moving on here in a couple of minutes. We've got a break coming up, and then when we come back, Thank we'll, you, Bobby. Talk, we'll talk about some local things. But I wanted to squeeze in just kind of a bonus quote. That's a big effing deal. That's a That's big, big effing deal. deal. <laughs> does, it, does anybody remember <laughs> does anybody remember that from uh last night's oh, absolutely uh, i recall that i recall the video of that <laughs> I, when they did that i couldn't help thinking that it was that it was absolutely brilliant because you know that mike gaff is going to come up oh yeah <laughs> And, yeah. and it was a great way to head it off at the pass. Like, you know, the, these things happen, and and what's wrong with calling a big effing deal a big effing deal? I think I think they're producing T-shirts with their quote on it somewhere. I think I saw those for sale within the last day or two. Well, and and uh, the former uh, Veeps Mike Gaff. Which, which, if people don't remember, happened in the wake of the signing of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. And right. when the president signed that bill, uh, the vice president turned to him in earshot of open microphones <laughs> and in front of the media. Yes. And, and he didn't say effing. <laughs> but, no, that's right. <laughs> but um, but he made that he made that comment, and his was not as as bad as Governor Whitmer's open mic gaffe this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, I did see that. But hers was more of an mf and deal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would have never guessed that that was in the character of the governor. I, I would have never guessed. It didn't seem like her to use that phrase. And it was funny because in, in context, she was making fun of uh, Shark Week. She was about to make her speech Monday that's right, that's right. to the um, uh, convention. And in the time while waiting for her time in the program she's standing at the podium and she's all set to go and she made some joke about uh people watching shark week or we're watching shark week mf <laughs> and the reason i the reason i say that I, I didn't think it was in the governor's character is because about covid she says wash your hands uh, be comb your hair, brush your teeth, take care of yourself, <laughs> maintain safe distances. She was giving us the motherly. Uh, I think I think the T-shirts are out about the governor's quote. That's I think I, I think T-shirts <laughs> on that one more correctly. Well, yeah. what I want to add to that is I think she was avoiding plagiarism by editing the original statement. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was it. Maybe yeah, was it. well, maybe. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Anyway, we're going to take a, uh, a short break. You're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming the show, we have some messages as well, so don't 
don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, we'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. The Spangled Dwarf in his bow tie. The infantry that don't ask why. I'm Bob Dylan. Remember those fabulous 60s? The marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel, who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jeff Snareplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, cold in protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well, 
It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70K. Do it today. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program. On a city council where unity can be hard to come by, the man chosen as Flint's next police chief has proven to be a uniting factor. The city council on Monday unanimously approved Mayor Sheldon Neely's appointment of Terrence Green, the police chief in Mount Morris Township, to the top law enforcement job in Flint. Green will start his new job September 1st at a salary of 100000 per year, taking command of a department with 14 vacant positions in a city with violent crime on the rise through the first seven months of this year year. Is the new chief a unifying figure or has socially distancing improved council relations? <laughs> well, from, from, from recent meetings, I'm not sure it's improved. I've, I've, I've tuned into some of those meetings and they've gone on as long or longer than the in-person ones, for one thing. But I'm <laughs> glad to see they finally got together on one issue. Yeah. I just, I just think the poor guy's been given an impossible job, and eventually we'll tear him apart for failing to do it. Uh, you know, yeah, Bobby, you I right. actually thought the same thing. Um, yeah, and and he's uh, been very well liked and respected in his position in uh, Flint Township. And I have to admit, I was a little surprised when uh, when former Chief Hart stepped down. Uh, we asked, and it was just a week ago, we asked, right. why not appoint Hart to the job and carry on? And then I thought, well, maybe there's a national search going on. And I didn't expect to hear anything quite as quickly as we did, and I didn't expect it to be someone quite this close to home. Maybe it was a no-bid contract. You know the way I the way I look at that. You don't always need to go out and have a, no, a national search for somebody new, somebody different. Sometimes you need to stop and take a look at the people around you, and choose those people who are um, close to the culture that understands the culture and the conditions that people live in. If this person is the right person, and I'm sure a lot of people have looked at him, and the council has. Uh, approved him, so um, he may be the right person and able to stand up to the challenges. He may be, but I think, of course, I wasn't part of the interview process. I would think you'd want someone who had experienced um, new ways of dealing with the kinds of crime that we have uh, that they would have to be working against. Um, There are so many new procedures and new ways of approaching crime control and bringing peace to communities that uh, just because somebody has a gun and a badge doesn't necessarily set them up as being an expert. Well, and we're on the cusp of many, many new changes. Yeah, yeah. with the, the whole Black Lives Matter issue and the defund movements and, and just the whole restructuring of police departments. There's going to be dramatic change for policing maybe across the nation. 
We have typically given high marks to the police department in Genesee County and Flint. And there's something that they do right. They have shot no kids in the back. They don't attack black males. They don't rape women and stuff like that, which is pervasive in some cases around the country. So we need to build up on that kind of a positive platform. We certainly haven't had the problems that a lot of police departments have been uh, plagued by. We have not. I remember asking a few weeks ago, asking Gaye Walling about uh, Citizens Commission, because in many communities they establish Citizen Commissions to oversee any complaints that are brought to the, about the police department, and he said that the Office of the Ombudsman would serve that purpose. Um, and I just wonder if that might uh, come into play here. Well, my understanding was in the earlier years, the ombudsman's office took took care of many of those kind of complaints. In fact, I've I think I've heard that almost a majority of their complaints, when they were functioning full tilt, were police related in some way. So yeah, they they may well have done that. And and yeah. I think that's what's uh, what what's hoped for going forward. But um, certainly the uh, the ethics board should yeah. should fulfill that function or be able to fulfill that function. And by yeah. the way, guys, if uh, the police chief doesn't work out the way we anticipate, he has us on his back because we're supporting him out front and we're watching the things that he does and we expect results that are favorable. The no, there's no doubt he's got a challenging job ahead of him. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to be in his shoes. Yeah. No. Well, City Hall will begin to reopen for in-person visits Wednesday uh, after a uh, five-month COVID-19 shutdown. Mayor Sheldon Neely announced the phased-in reopening, which will start with the lobby and customer service areas of City Hall offering limited hours of operation. A red drop box at the front doors at City Hall also will remain available and the city is encouraging residents to use it when making a payment by check or dropping documents off for city offices. Is it important for City Hall to begin phasing in regular operation and availability? I think, I think it's, it's important for people to be able to access their government as much yeah. as they possibly can and stay safe. So in any way that they can do that and accommodate, you know, uh, the spread of the virus, I think that's a good idea. And yeah, I think, I think uh, so. if he's meeting, go ahead. I was going to say, if, if, to, to the extent we open grocery stores and a lot of other facilities in, in limited ways, I think the same thing is true. It was. It's just not a good image to have the city hall closed down entirely. But as I say, with social distancing and limiting number of people in the building and things of that nature and masks, I think it makes some sense. Yeah, and, and if and he's go ahead, Henry. If he's following the governor's guidelines, everything should be fine. Oh, I think it, is yeah, fine. I think yeah. it'll be fine. But um, you know, in in response to Bobby's comment, I, I think they were doing a good job of being accessible through the internet through the dropbox you know in in other ways um while keeping the building closed to in-person contacts um but but i think paul has kind of uh, hinted at there's there's something about even being partially open that that 
makes it look more accessible and that maybe provides some hope that we will get through this, that we will get past this. Yeah, almost returning yeah. to normal, whatever that was. Yeah. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> the new yeah, normal. If they, stay, if they stay out too long, we'll wonder why they're there in the first place. Well, there's that too, Henry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to the point where robots are serving us. Oh, <laughs> oh you missed my uh, my conversation earlier this week with... Uh, um, I, I was stunned to find out that Facebook has an AI division. Oh, really? Wow! And they're oh. and they have uh, they, they and they were uncovering along with uh, uh, a uh, doctor from uh, NYU's uh, Langone Health um, a new faster MRI procedure using artificial intelligence. Wow! Basically, well, we need some, we need some intelligence, artificial or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I was but I was actually very surprised to find out there's a whole division of Facebook dedicated to um, uh, AI. Yeah, I artificial intelligence. Well, yeah, are they are they screening all of the things that they're posting to decide whether they make sense or not? I don't know. Well, you I, have to set criteria for that if you're going to screen everything. There's I, be I think they are writing code to find um, offensive posts and, and other things, but it sounds like they're not really focused on the Facebook we know. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's a division of Facebook, but they're, they're working on artificial intelligence for other things. Because I, I asked them, I said, you know, what, what does uh, Facebook AI do other than tell me when people's birthdays are? Right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've seen some articles recently on the artificial intelligence taking over a great many jobs in the years to come. I mean, the, the potential is, is astonishing if, if this is all true. Yeah, but once this is delivered, we have to find out who is behind the AI. That's critical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's still garbage in, garbage out. You know, any computer is going to take what you get. Yes. Well, and that, uh, you know, what what Paul is talking about with AIs uh, replacing a lot of people... um, employment-wise, that was at the heart of uh, Andrew Yang's book when he announced he was running for president. Wasn't that book um, suspiciously called The War on Normal? (laughs) I think (laughs) now that you you say that, I believe you're right. I'd forgotten the title of it. It it seems kind of ironic now, but... uh, Yeah, yeah. He must have consulted his horoscope. Um, Or used AI. yeah, <laughs> I think going about the AI, I I thought years ago, years and years and years ago, that a really good use for um, computers was to help doctors in making um, analyses or uh, to decide what kind of disease you might have based on symptoms. And so AI, it seems to me, would be perfect for that kind of analysis. And um, and that's well, exactly the role. That's exactly the role that. Uh, uh, this woman I talked to this week from Facebook AI, um, that's exactly the role they're playing. They've, they've actually uh, tasked it with um, uh, doing the uh, MR imaging faster 
um, and and mm. with more clarity. And and it's it's so much faster. It's almost like you go to get an MRI, and it takes about as long as a Polaroid. Wow. You know, it's 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 really quite. They don't expect it to be in common use for another year and a half, but they're they're having successful studies now and um, and announced the the thing this week and and put out uh, some papers for peer review and and it's it's going to be a thing. Yeah, well, that's a very good use of AI. Oh yeah, absolutely, but but I'm I'm still I don't know. Maybe it's the foil hat that I wear sometimes, but I, I I'm just a little troubled by Facebook having an AI arm, if you will. It is it is strange, yeah, the potential for that. I I don't know where it could all lead, but yeah, it, it is somewhat unsettling. Of course, I don't know who who I'd rather see. With, with an AI branch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, of course, I am a government person. I like the idea of the kinds of things that can be intrusive on people's lives to at least have um, some sort of transparency. And there are requirements for government functions to be transparent, whether they are or not, but we can raise hell about it when they're not. But Facebook is a private entity, and they can right, pretty much right. do whatever they want to do without anybody overseeing it that's true um moving on legislators uh legislators and governor gretchen whitmer have reached a bipartisan agreement on a new plan that provides flexibility on when students return to in-person classes and clarity on how schools are funded during a pandemic according to an announcement from the governor's office late friday the plan includes more than $580 million to help schools offer virtual learning, increase safety when students do return to classes, and provides hazard pay to teachers, according to a summary of the plan obtained by the Detroit Free Press. There is no mandate for in-person classes for any students, although students in kindergarten through fifth grade are encouraged to physically attend school where possible, and all parties agreed they did not want to financially harm schools regardless of the teaching model they uh, choose. Is this an expensive legislative way of saying we'll open the schools for in-person learning when it's safe? Well, well that could be. Sort of, it sort of goes around the bush, but yeah. But yeah. you know, <clears throat> I like I like the way uh, both uh, the legislature and the governor came together and agreed upon this process. Without agreement, it would have been it would have been atrocious. It would have been a disaster, and nobody would accept responsibility for the outcomes. But in this way, both the Democrats and Republicans got together with the governor and say, this is how we should run it. And they agreed upon it. And now school districts cannot simply just, uh, the individuals within the school districts are infected by these orders from Lansing, cannot just simply go out and school to sue the school district if they can't contact COVID. I'm struck by how many just how many schools, both K-12 and colleges, are now hitting reverse. You know, who first had planned to open in a in a face-to-face situation, now we're having second thoughts or undoing their initial decision as the the, the virus uh, seems to be 
bouncing back again as we get toward the yeah. fall. But and this is I virtual. Think. This is virtual, guys. Virtual. I know, but one, not. one of the things I became aware of today, because I have a friend who is a tenured professor at Kent State, is um, when the the whole mix of in-face and virtual is sort of hanging out there in the air, I think the people that are in the, the teaching seats are put under a great deal of stress because they're having to change to going to virtual, and yet they may be required to combine that with in-person uh, in those hybrid classes. And I think we need to consider what we're doing to the system and to the people who are in the classroom. Yeah, but you know, I, I've, I've taught online classes in the past, along with the regular ones, and, you know, with, with the right preparation, an online class or virtual class can, can be quite effective and not quite the same as in person, but no. it can do a pretty good job. But if you're jerking back and forth, you know, one week you're virtual, next week you're online, or next week you're in person, back and forth, I think that's going to be messy and confusing for the faculty and for the students. Uh, it would be much clearer, it seems, to just make a decision you know, if we're going to go virtual, let's do it right and stick with it. Well, and some of the but colleges we, have done that. As soon as they saw yeah, spikes, yeah, we had that already. Yeah, as soon as they yeah. saw spikes, they said, "That's it. We're closing for this semester." Yeah, I see Michigan. Did Michigan State do it just within the last day or so? Yep, and but, I think but one we in can't Alabama. Just let education fall on its place. We've got to do something, uh, and I think virtual is better than nothing. Oh, I, I agree 100%, Henry. I agree. Like I say, if it's done right, and again, it, take, it takes different preparation and different kind of arrangements. You can't do it overnight, but if it's done right, it can, a virtual class can be a very effective class. And you've got to remember that these kids are aging out of the process. Every moment that they live, they're aging out. Their, their physical and mental capacity is being diminished by age. So we have you to know, move Henry, them while they're... It occurs to me, Henry, that I had the same objection a few years ago when uh, Governor Snyder established that whole new education, whatever the heck he called it, in Detroit that, that incorporated yes. something like yes. 13 public schools. The kids who were part of that grand experiment were aging out of learning when it wasn't <laughs> working, and that's just as ineffective as what we're doing now. Well, there's no, there's, you, you have no alternative except to put the kids in the classroom, and that's a no-no. I was reading a thing this morning talking about how uh, schools were handling uh, closures in, um, during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, and New York and Chicago were among the cities that didn't close public schools. But their rationale is fascinating. It was because the schools the public schools were more hygienic than the homes the kids came from. <laughs> wow. And it, wow. it, it, it just creates such a whole different perspective, you know, when you think about, well, these kids are, you know, a lot of them, uh, you know, are living in poverty and squalor, and they go to school, and there were nurses in the schools, there, you know, there were people practicing uh, hygiene, and the students were being checked and monitored, and, and that it was actually better for the kids to be in school than out, and it's so upside down from, from where we are right now. Because we don't yeah. have nurses in every school and we don't make special accommodations to meet the needs of the kids. 
Yeah, I, th I think that's true. But I also, I also just wanted to comment on, uh, on, on Henry's uh, observation about the uh, bipartisan nature of the agreement between the, the Republican-led legislators and uh, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer. I think Republicans have had to really step back from their opposition to what science is telling people to do, and that's close things, stay home, you know, uh, be safe, wash hands, and so on, um, as as other Republicans have had to do around the country. Some of these Republican governors that were anti-masks and had to turn around and say, well, you know, wait a minute, my masks actually do a pretty good job of keeping this from spreading, and it's spreading, so we got to stop it. And, and I think that's part of uh, Republicans just realizing the... Um, seriousness of this uh, of this disease and where it can go if it's not being fought. Yeah, I'm really glad that that's happening on the state level. Um, I've never been a, a champion of, you know, the independence of states because I always felt like a strong federal government is really good for protecting people's rights. But during this pandemic, I'm actually appreciating how the states are able to work uh, separately because of their jurisdiction to help people, to save people, to bring them into a healthier situation. And if the governors come late to the party, it's better than not coming at all. That's true. And they've had to step up because there hadn't been that much federal direction. Well, and, and you know what they say, Bobby, about states being a, a great laboratory for federal policy. Um, you know, it's in this particular instance, this is one of those things where it the, the needs of Montana might be very different than the needs of New York or California. Right. right. And we're not necessarily talking civil rights, but one of my favorite James Carville quotes, which I heard him say years ago in a speech, was, change percolates up that does not drip down. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a great way of looking yeah, well, at it. Well, states are called a laboratory of democracy, and that, that's often the case for a lot of policies. Well, speaking, yep. speaking of democracy, more than 6,400 Michigan residents did not have their absentee ballots counted for the August primary election because clerks received them in the mail after polls closed on Election Day. Another roughly 2,100 voters had their absentee ballots invalidated because they forgot to sign them or the signatures did not match those provided by the voter uh, when the, that person registered to vote. In a Friday afternoon news release, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson pointed to these numbers in a renewed push to have legislators take up bills that would change how absentee ballots are processed and counted. Is it troubling that this many people didn't or couldn't follow the instructions properly? No, that gives the argument to the president of the United States, Donald Trump. This is why he argues day after day he does not trust the mail system, he does not trust voting uh, beyond the booth. Uh, well, in this, in this case, so I'm sort of channeling um, uh, but I, uh, Barry Simon and not trusting the voters. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, on the other hand, the, the the point other is, hand we're talking about... We're talking about 10,000 votes out of, what, two and a half or 2.2 yeah, million? Yeah, that, that's so, the point. I mean, it, it, even, yeah. even with the, the, the yeah. and this is the first time we've done this in, this in a large way, so there were some glitches, and I think there's a few fixes. If, if you allowed an extra day for the mail to arrive, that might solve half of those those 10,000 votes, or roughly half. Well, or or, or go, by, or go by a postmarked buy. 
We yeah, have to understand yeah, postmark deal. We have to understand yeah. the president's counter argument to uh, mail in ballots. Uh, and any uh, Henry, Henry, I'm going like to have to justify. I'm going to have to put a comma there, but we'll pick Henry, it up I when want, we come I back. I've got to got to take a short please, break please. here, but we'll be back uh, and we'll pick Thank it you. up there when we return. This is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program, and uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with more. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. 
All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name this was This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And just before the break, we were uh, actually talking a little bit about the um, uh, absentee, uh, was it absentee ballots we were talking about? And, uh, yes. And yes, how much? some of the problems here in Michigan with 10,000 or so that were tossed aside. I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. No, you were going to address my my point I made about the president's argument. Well, and I thought the same thing. No, no, he's talking to me, uh, Bobby, because um, it uh, the way the story read in the free press, that was one of the first things that occurred to me, is that um, there were two things. One is that the president would certainly use this to reinforce his argument that vote-in mailing is not safe and secure, and also that Barry Simon would be uh, tipping a glass um, to uh, pat himself on the back for being right about voters not being uh, competent. (laughs) I would would not argue that voters are not competent. That's not my point. My point would be that what has been shown is that the system does not allow fraudulent, uh, unsigned, uh, mismailed, or late ballots to be counted. What we have shown with what happened is the system works. To say that we're going to commit fraud and the system, the election is rigged, and all of that nonsense because of absentee balloting is stood on its head by the fact that we found the ballots that couldn't be counted that didn't meet the requirements. Period. Yeah. Now, it's up to the legislature to adopt a law that allows for a few days leeway when they're being postmarked because of the games that are being played with our mail service. That's yet to happen, but this is now. This is now. We need to make sure that we use data to determine the outcome of an election. And this is what Trump is talking about. If you have some discrepancies in the voting uh, data, then there's something wrong with the system. And like Bobby, you said, we must go to the legislature and change that process to make it work correctly. Well, I've got a couple more related stories, so so let me let me move on here. The uh, League of Women Voters asked the Michigan Supreme Court on Monday to reconsider an appeal to allow local clerks more time to count ballots postmarked by or on Election Day. The League, which initially filed a lawsuit over absentee ballot counting rules in May, Uh, points in its August 17th filing to August primary election data released by the Secretary of State, which says 6,400 absentee ballots were rejected because they were delivered after Election Day. Christina Schlitt, 
The uh, league's president said the new information shows how important it is to ensure all valid ballots are counted. The league is a nonpartisan political organization that supports voter education, issue advocacy, and citizen participation. Um, and, and I guess uh, carrying on with our previous conversation, should votes received after Election Day be counted? If they're legitimized by law, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think there's I a sense, Bobby. particularly with the post office problems these days. Give, give, I've seen a, a proposal to, to give it an extra two days uh, after the Tuesday election for those, those late arrivals, and they, then you, you got to draw a line somewhere. I understand it. Well, uh, you but, know, in other kinds of uh, contest mailings, they say uh, you know must be postmarked by. Right. Well, and we do that with uh, with the IRS if it's postmarked yeah, by the. Uh, but on April 15th, it counts as being on time whenever they get it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay, well, Michigan is sending postcards to more than 4 million registered uh, voters, encouraging them to apply to vote absentee in the November election. The state also plans to spend millions in order to reimburse local cities that offer prepaid return envelopes for absentee ballots. The moves are the latest by Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson to advocate for casting a ballot before Election Day, an initiative aimed at increasing voter participation while preventing the spread of the coronavirus. Will mail-in voting ever replace going to the polls? No. Not entirely, but I, I think it's going to be kind Not of the spirit of voting. The spirit of yeah, voting. Yeah, you're right, you're been. right. I, I, I enjoy the camaraderie of the whole process. This, this is the first time I voted absentee for all practical purposes this this, this current year. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm an old woman, so I've been voting absentee since I moved here. However, I usually go to the clerk's office, fill out my ballot there, and leave it there, so it's not exactly mailing it in. Uh, but I, I think, given the fact that there are so many reasons why people can't show up on election day to vote, Early voting, absentee voting, any way that we can allow people to exercise their franchise is is good and necessary. And you know, I, the, I the, point, the point I made before is that there's, there's other advantages too. On one hand, the mail-in thing gives you a paper record of the vote. So for all the folks who are concerned about computer hacking and all that, there's a paper record. And secondly, one real advantage is it gives voters a chance to study the ballot. I mean, if you walk into a, a voting booth, cold turkey, and you see a six-paragraph proposal that you hadn't heard about, <laughs> what are you going to do? Here, if you have the ballot in front of you, you can you know, go, to, go to a website or call somebody or learn who the candidates are and learn what the proposals are about. So it gives the voters a chance to be more informed before they cast their ballot, too. Well, how about better or better informed voters? My goodness. Um, I think the fact that um, that absentee voting is, like, like you pointed out, Paul, is hard to hack. You know, you can't hack an absentee uh, voting counting right. on the day of the, of the election or during the week after the election. Uh, so maybe the reason that Donald Trump is against absentee voting in this case is because Putin can't exercise the franchise. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> well, I can, I'll accept uh, I know any way that we decide to vote in our jurisdiction because I believe in the system, and I do believe in technology being an extension of our capacity to, to vote, to carry that whole process through. And we need to learn to live by that because the computer 
uh, and uh, this kind of electronic data and conversations are with us forever. Yeah. Well, we haven't reached the point where some countries have where they find people who don't vote. Um, there was a, a business acquaintance visiting on a business trip from Belgium who said, I have to go back home to vote. If I'm not, they'll, they'll find me. So... Yeah, there are a couple of countries do that. You're, you're right. Yeah. Well, 13 yeah. Michigan residents were randomly selected Monday to serve on the state's first redistricting commission, charged with drawing new district lines for members of the state house and senate. The secretary of state hired Saginaw-based accounting firm Riemann LLC to randomly select four Democrats, four Republicans, and five people without party affiliation from 180 finalists. To serve on the commission, Heaster Wheeler, Assistant Secretary of State, hosted the random draw, which was documented in a live video. Is this the best system for redistricting? I don't know. Can yet. you think of a better one? <laughs> Without a bias. If you look at the California process, they actually had two or three steps uh, before the people were finally chosen, and actually. The legislature plays a role in winnowing them out before they get to the point of being chosen. And I don't think that was done here. So what we have here is applicants that meet the requirements that are just automatically randomly selected. So I don't know. Well, what's wrong with that? If they meet the requirements, uh, what's wrong with that? I don't know. I looked at the list and... The goal was Second to make it truly nonpartisan. You, you, you didn't want the parties picking these people, you know, even in the backhand. Yeah, kind of way. what's so wrong they, with that? They eliminated anybody who had ties to a party yeah. uh, for, these, right. for these random draws. That, that's why I had to drop out, because I was affiliated with the Republican Party. Otherwise, well, I would like to have been one. It made me wonder why the people that were um, in that pool were uh, actually asked to give an explanation on why they were applying and, wh and what the purpose of their application was to them personally, because certainly if you're choosing people randomly, you're not reading their essay to see whether they should get in or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe that's yeah. maybe the essays whittled it down to the 180. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I, I'm not sure yeah. what the whole screening process was, but uh, that being the case, I'm surprised there were five people without party affiliation that had a good answer to that question. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but I did. I said, oh, I can't serve, guys. i got to resign. No, actually, they, they had complete sentences, too. That was good. <laughs> uh, did spelling count? Uh, yes, <laughs> Well, it's going to be interesting to see uh, going forward. I know that that one flaw right away comes from, uh, you know, supporters of alternative parties who say that um, having a majority of representatives from the two parties, the Republicans and the mm. Democrats, has already skewed it against um, third-party uh, participation. I'm not sure how much it does, but I understand the argument. Yeah, it's sort of like the flea biting the elephant. Um, I just I just think that they could um, call themselves independents because basically they are and make applications. Yes. Yeah. And that, that may explain the five people with good answers to the questions. It could well be. Yeah, they may be involved. In an yeah, exactly. exactly. Well punctuated complete sentences. Yep. Well, we're uh, about 50 
two seconds away from the top of the hour. We need to take a short break there for show ID, and then we'll uh, continue on with the second half of uh, our two-hour political roundtable. And uh, I guess we'll... Okay. When we come back, I'm sure we're going to be talking about... Well, we're going to talk about the uh, Democratic uh, Convention for sure, and I'm sure that uh, we'll have lots more interesting stuff plus there's some fun stuff in the x-files today so by all means stick around we have uh, our roundtable regulars paul rosicki and henry hatter joined by bobby clayton walton so be sure and stay tuned for the second half of armchair politics that's a big effing deal that's a big effing deal hi i'm alexander zonjic don't touch that dial you're listening to tom sumner 